Good morning, South Point family. This is Val Allgood, and this is my fireside story. People always ask me, or they, they wonder why I do what I do. And the reason is because we're all God's children. We may not all look alike. We may have nappy hair, blonde hair, straight hair, red hair, but we're all God's children. And you may see that stinky person on the side of the road, looks like they need a shower, need some clothes, but that's somebody's child. And even though it's not your child, and you may not know their parent, it's God's child. We all need to take care of each other. We need to love our neighbors. Because you never know, you might be that stinky person on the side of the road. Regardless to what you see on the outside, you never know. You, you never know if that person is going home to a house without water. They don't have electricity. By looking at them and looking and seeing, okay, well, this one looks like me, so I'll help that one. You don't know whether or not this one here is broken inside. Maybe they are struggling with an addiction. Maybe they're struggling with having a child that's addicted. And in loving your neighbor, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to come out with money. Sometimes all you need to do is give a hug, a smile, a kind word, or point them in a different direction. You never know. You may not have everything that they need, but you stopping to show them that you care. It's not about doing it for Christmas. It's about doing it all the time because all the time there is somebody that's in need and that person, even though they don't live next door to you, they live in your community. They are still your neighbor. So how are you going to love your neighbor this year? Val, I hope you're watching and just know it's not easy to follow up Miss Val Allgood. That'll preach right there because she brings a unbelievably big truth to this time of year. As we've kind of talked about fireside Christmas, this idea of these, these intimate moments that we have in this holiday season. Yeah, we, we talked about, hey, sometimes it's crazy. And uh, some of you know you're kind of prepping and getting ready right now because you're going to go and hang out with family and you're like, I'm, I'm going to need to prepare myself. And we talked about the anticipation that comes with this time of year and all the anticipation that, that Mary had and all the anticipation that, that Joseph and that community had that, hey, the Messiah is coming. And we hit these times of year where, okay, kids are officially out of school now and you can't get stuff from Amazon at this point, so you got to go to Target like my wife and I did yesterday. And that is an absolute whip. Uh, we pulled up and I went, oh, at least they're not busy. There wasn't a single parking spot in that entire place. Like people everywhere, people trying to grab stuff, some 
kid behind me making a honking noise. I don't know. It's just, it's crazy this time of year. We get really busy and we, we start planning out meals and we start planning out our, our Christmas Day celebrations and all this kind of stuff. And sometimes we get so busy and so wrapped up in that. And it's not that all of those are innately bad, but if we're not careful, we will miss out on literally one of the greatest and most deep truths in Scripture, to love our neighbor. And that's what this season is about as well. And this morning, it, it, it's actually, it's going to be pretty straightforward. It'd be kind of brief, actually. But I want to show you that this idea of loving your neighbor is actually one of the most pivotal things in all of Scripture. And one thing that we can't do is get so busy in all the hubbub and everything like that that we miss out on something that Jesus truly just drives home and says, you gotta, you gotta do this. And so this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22. You can follow along on the screen or you can read in your Bible. We're going to be in verse 34. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so in this moment, throughout Jesus' ministry, the the, the religious leaders of the day, the, the groups we call the Pharisees and Sadducees, there were actually a couple other groups as well that aren't talked about in Scripture quite as much, but these people constantly did not like Jesus. And they constantly railed against him. They constantly tried to trap him in questions. And a group of Sadducees, some of the religious leaders, they had come to him and they'd, they'd try and trap him in a moment. And guess what? He's Jesus. He just doesn't lose these moments. In times where they think, we've we for sure got him this time, he will say the most profound thing because he is the Messiah. And so the Pharisees say, okay, well, it's our turn. We'll try and trap him in something. And they get, they get the lawyer. Like, this is written 2,000 years ago, and yet the idea of a lawyer still kind of has this icky term to it. Um, like, in today's day and age, like, we think of lawyers, and we always think of, like, there's a lot of trust issues. Um, the amazing thing, like, I've got four really good friends that are, that are in law, and they're all great people. But a lot of times when we think of that, we think of like Better Call Saul or something like that, like just kind of shady moments. And in this moment, they've got this legal expert, and they, they throw this lawyer out there, and he's going to trap Jesus. Because in the Old Testament, there's over 600 laws that he could have pulled from. And they're going to look at it and go, hey, he's going to pick one, and then we're just going to turn it on itself. And so the question is asked, and he says, hey, what is the greatest commandment? And in this moment, they think Jesus is going to try and justify one over the other. But what Jesus does is he, he answers the question, and then he goes a whole lot deeper within it. Because he doesn't just give them a singular answer. He, he builds an argument and says, hey, the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And then they didn't even ask him about the other. He says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So before we go on any further, the question kind of becomes, well, who's my neighbor? Like, do I get to pick and choose my neighbor? Like, I know my neighbor. He's a good dude. It's Josh. <laughs> like, we literally can touch each other's doors. Like, that's how close we are. Like, I know that's my neighbor. But when you go, okay, are we just talking the house next to mine? Are we talking 
within three houses of mine. Um, for some of you, if you've got land, you're like, man, my neighbors are a long ways off. So do I not have any? No. Because we know if you look in the book of Luke, Jesus defines it. Because he tells this parable about a Samaritan, someone that the Jews did not like, who was a neighbor to a man who had been robbed and beaten and left for dead. And at the end of it, Jesus is simply asked the question, well, who was his neighbor? The one who showed mercy. Who are we called to show mercy to? Everyone. Unbelievable mercy has been poured out on each and every one of us. If we are in Christ, the ultimate mercy has been given to us. We were completely undeserving. Like, there was nothing that we did that God goes, you know what, man, Terry is such a great guy. I got I to gotta be merciful to Terry. But I don't know about this guy over here. No, it, there was nothing that we did. It was God's absolute grace and mercy that he sent his son, Jesus, who we are talking about, who lived a sinless life and laid it down so that you and I could experience mercy in the first place. And because that mercy has been gifted and granted and poured out on us, we are called to show that mercy to everyone. So who's my neighbor? All of you. Wait, some of you live over in Tuscola. That's okay. All neighbors here. The people that are watching online, there's people watching all over the place. All neighbors. Every single person that we have been called to show mercy to becomes our neighbor. And now we've been given this commandment to love them. But to truly understand love your neighbor, you first have to love God. That's why it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. To, to understand loving your neighbor, it has to start with a love of God. Because if you don't have this insanely deep love of God, you're going to have a very difficult time loving your neighbor, right? Because there's times where our neighbors do stuff and we go, I don't like that. I don't agree with that. That upsets me. I don't want to be around that person. But the more we love God, the easier it becomes, and it actually truly becomes possible to love our neighbor. And so we love him with all of our heart. Our actions revolve around a love for God. The things that I want to pour out, the things that I want to see happen in other people's lives, the things that, that I know that I'm called to do, my love of God in my heart drives me to do those things. And so you've got to learn to love him with all of your heart, where his desire becomes yours first and foremost. There's a saying, God is most glorified when we are most pleased in him. And I love that. Like this idea that we would love God in such a way that his glory is what drives everything that we do. And so we have to learn to love God with all of our heart. We have to learn to love God with our soul. Like our deepest desires become God's desires. Our deepest desires are shaped by his heart and what he wants. And deep down in our soul, that depth within us, that thing that God placed in us, in humanity, we're like, we're the only ones with that. And yet within our soul, there's this deep longing to love God. And so when we look around, we go, hey, how does he get glorified in this? Okay, I want to do that. How, does, how is his name made famous in this? Okay, I want to do that. And then we love him with all of our mind. Literally, our thoughts revolve around what God desires. And so when we read scripture and we see, hey, I've been called to reach out to people and to love, we do those things. And our mind literally becomes the spot where it all begins. And we say, hey, I want to have a mind like God does. I want to see people the way that Jesus saw them. I love whenever he talks about, hey, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Right before that, it says Jesus looked out on the, on the crowd. And what did he have? Compassion. 
And he looked out amongst all of these hearts, souls, and minds. And he saw the guy that, man, he was just dealing with anger and issues of rage in his heart, and he had compassion on him. And he looked out and he saw the person that was struggling with just, I don't know who I am, and I don't know what my identity is, and I don't know where to find that. And he had compassion on him. And he looked out on the person that was just struggling with lust or whatever it was. He looked out and saw into the souls of all these people. And he didn't get mad. He wasn't frustrated. He wasn't sickened. It says he had compassion on them. And so when we love God with all of our heart, mind, and soul, we begin to see people like that. When we truly love God, we want to cast out anything that could be an idol. An idol is anything that we elevate above God. And if we're not careful, like as a culture, we would say, hey, we don't, we don't really worship idols. Like I don't have anything at my house that sits up on a mantle and, you know, I bow down to it. But we create idols very often. Sometimes it's work. Sometimes it's fame or this notion of power. Like we love that. Like we have become a culture that just craves like 15 minutes of fame, Right? That's why we have reality TV shows. That's why we hope that, man, if somebody, if I can get this many likes or hearts on something that I say, people are going to love it. We just, we want that 15 minutes of fame. How do I know that? Because I'm going to leave here today, go home, turn on the TV, and pray that A&M makes it into the playoff so I can have 15 minutes before we get crushed by Alabama. (laughs) Like, that's just the reality of it. Like, we make that into an idol at times. And then sometimes it's, okay, prestige. One of the most dangerous ones can be family. Hear me on this. Sometimes we can create idols out of our own families. I'll never forget being at a conference years ago, and I was listening to a speaker, and they said, hey, if you believe this about theology, just know when you have kids, it's going to change. And I remember thinking, that doesn't seem right. (laughs) There are some things that definitely change when you have kids, right? You learn a lot about yourself. You learn that you can operate on not as much sleep and that coffee really is an important thing. But this particular theological area, I remember thinking, I don't, I don't think that's going to change when I have kids. And it didn't <laughs> because kids make terrible idols. <laughs> and sometimes if we're not careful, we'll, we'll take this amazing gift that God has given us and we'll make it into an idol and If we are going to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, we want to cast all of those things out. And so he says to the Lord, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And he wasn't even asked about this, but he says, you know what, I'm going to give you another answer as well. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The commandment to love your neighbor is overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Jesus just said, everything that you read in the Old Testament, all the law, all the prophets, it hangs on these two things. That you are going to love the God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. It's this idea that you're going to take I don't mean this to sound super graphic, but like take your skin off and put it on someone else so that you feel what they feel. You feel the hurt that they feel at times. You feel the pressure that they feel at times. You feel the rejoicing that they feel at times. But it's this idea that you are surrounding yourself onto another person on the most intimate level to where you feel the things that they're going through. 
and you love them like you love yourself. Now, within this, I'd say this. Sometimes we have to be reminded we need to love ourselves. Sometimes we can beat ourselves up. Sometimes we can get really down on ourselves. And that's not going to help us when it comes to loving our neighbor. But most of the time, we would say, yeah, I'm, I, can, I can do a pretty good job of loving myself. And, like, I can take care of my needs. And if it's like, hey, if I'm hungry, I want to make sure that that gets supplied for me. If I, if I want to go out and do something fun, I want to go and do those things. Like, we, we have a tendency to look out for ourselves. And sometimes it's not always bad things. Sometimes it's, hey, like we were talking about feeding yourself spiritually. There's times where I go, hey, it's really important right now that I dive into God's word and pour over it so that I let it read me and convict me and grow me into a better follower of Jesus Christ. And yet all those desires I have been called to do with my neighbor as well. Like where I take myself off and I surround with that person. And here's how big it is. Those two things Jesus says literally Everything in the Old Testament hangs on these things. I heard a really good illustration of this this week. And, and, and try and, let's try and open up heaven for a moment. Imagine that there was a scroll, this massive, massive scroll. And as it's unrolled, as it's unrolled, as it's unrolled, you realize it's the Old Testament. In the beginning, God, all the way to Malachi, all these unbelievable truths, like the, the old te- it begins with God creating the world, literally speaking things into existence. Sometimes people go, I have a hard time with some of the s- supernatural side of, of, of the Bible. There's some pretty crazy stuff in there, right? God literally goes, let there be light. And this thing that we see and can't see at the same time just suddenly pops into existence. Hey, let there be aardvark. And this animal is just there, like, Never existed before. Let there be man, and he breathes into man. Like, the, the Bible, it's just so rich as it begins. And you have these unbelievable stories of someone like Noah, and God going, hey, Noah, I know you haven't ever seen it rain. It's going to rain a lot, and I'm going to need you to build an ark. What is that? It's a boat, and make it big, and I'm going to send all of these animals to you, and you're going to save humanity. And then you get into stories of like Abraham and God coming to this guy who didn't even know who he was. And he calls him and says, hey, I'm going to make a chosen race. Your children are going to be as numerous as the sand on the beach and the stars in the sky. And then you get stories of redemption and you hear that there's going to come from the line of David a savior. And you see this scroll with all of its truth. All of these stories, and some of them, yeah, we, we read to kids because they seem like kid stories. Like, have you ever really thought about the fact that Noah and the ark, like, that's a really popular kid story, the time when God destroyed the earth. Like, and then they all died. And it's like, good night. Like, we, we tell these stories. There's so much truth there. And so imagine this scroll, but imagine on each end of it, attached to Genesis all the way to Malachi. Imagine that there's just a golden chain. And that chain goes up, and as you look up, you realize that chain stretches all the way to heaven. And if you were to walk into heaven, to the throne of God, that's where the chain would end. And on one side of the throne, it would say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. On the other side, it would say, love your neighbor as yourself. That's how big these two verses are. Because he says, all of that Old Testament, all of the prophets, all of the law, it hangs on these two things. 
If we can get these two things, we can figure out a lot. Because when you learn to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, a lot of things just seem really trivial. Like whether or not somebody likes something that I say on social media seems petty. Whether or not my football team wins a game seems trivial. Everything becomes more beautiful. I learned to love my family deeper. I learned to enjoy the things that God has blessed me with deeper. When we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul, literally dinner becomes better because you understand this was a gift from God and I can savor it and I'm thankful. And when we gather together in service and we worship, it becomes better because we go, hey, this isn't just some haphazard group of people that happen to show up at 3050 Buffalo Gap Road. No, this is my family. These are the people that you better like each other. You're going to spend an eternity together, all right? Like when we come together and we love God deeply, it makes our church better. It makes our families better. It enriches everything. And when we, love to, and we learn to love our neighbor as ourselves, what we're really doing is loving your neighbor is the visible sign of loving God. It's easy to say that we love God, right? Like you can do that privately. You can do that corporately. But I can have these real kind of intimate moments where I go, man, I'm, I'm really loving God. Man, I'm diving into his word. I'm just enjoying this. But when I dive into his word, what I find is there's this unbelievable call to obedience, and there's this overwhelming cry that the gospel says, hey, we've got to do more. The gospel calls us to greater things. And so when I love my neighbor, I am visibly showing that I love God. When you love your neighbor, you're probably walking pretty close with God because we understand that literally everything is just built on these two things. So how do we love our neighbor? There's a lot of different ways. I could sit up here for the next five hours, I'm not going to, and we could talk about ways to love your neighbor. But it starts with this, uh, you got to get to know them. <laughs> and sometimes we don't like getting to know our neighbor, right? And again, with our neighbor being everyone, sometimes that means that person at work that you don't really enjoy being around, you're going to have to learn to cultivate a relationship with them. We have to get to know our neighbors. And so for me, I got a new neighbor last week, this eye place that opened up, we Pulled up one day, and they were literally had, they had the big scissors, and they were doing a ribbon-cutting ceremony, and Logan and I watched it. I remember when they broke ground on that. I was so excited. I was like, please be quick trip. Please be quick trip. It wasn't. Um, it was an eye care place, but you know what? They just moved in there, and it's kind of like our new neighbor. And so I'm going to take some stuff over there this week and just say, hey, we're right across the street. We're glad that you guys are finally open. Hope you do a great job. My wife probably needs to see you, and welcome Welcome to Buffalo Gap Road. But you got to get to know your neighbors. You've got to actually take those steps out there and get to know people. Hear their story. Sometimes people desperately just want to share their story. And sometimes people just need someone to listen. And sometimes you go, man, that's, that's really messed up. Maybe I could share something that would help that. But we've got to get to know our neighbors. Because as a culture, like, we've kind of gotten away from that. Like it's, there's times where we spend way more time in the house and not outside getting to know people. And we've got to reclaim that because there's this call. If you're going to love your neighbor, you at least got to know what their name is. Then be generous. And like Val said, sometimes that's not always money. I want to say thank you, man. Yesterday, once again, amazing pantry. Thank you to everyone who helped 
facilitate that with funds and, and showing up and putting boxes together. Um, we'll share probably in January the total numbers, but I can't, I can't even begin to think of how many tons and tons and tons of food have been given away this year. We've had to figure out new ways of doing it because we couldn't have people meeting inside. So there's a lot of flexibility there, but just being generous in that way. Being generous with even something like a Christmas tree. We had somebody give us a Christmas tree. We were able to bless a family with that yesterday. But being generous, and not just financially, but just with the fact that, you know what? God has given every single person in here one thing exactly in common. Every single one of us have the exact same number of seconds in every day. And how you fill them is what makes us different. And there's times where we go, man, I've made all this time about me, and I haven't set any, side a time, or any time aside to love my neighbor as I love myself. And so when we do things like the pantry, that's a way of being generous and loving our neighbors. Man, I've watched people accept Christ through that. I've watched people pull up with cars that broke down and a slew of people just over there pouring over that car, getting it fixed. Like, it's amazing when we're generous to our neighbors. People feel that. Then be kind. This is a year where people haven't exactly been the kindest. (laughs) Truth be told been a little bit of a Grinch here. Everybody's on edge a little bit, but man, kindness, such a simple act. Sometimes it throws people off. Sometimes people are so inclined to be defensive that a kind word is almost like, what do I do with that? (laughs) They were friendly. Like we've been called to be kind to our neighbors, to reach out, to be generous, pray for them. What a crazy thought. Sometimes when it's really difficult to love a neighbor, and look, that, that is a reality. There are people that at times are just difficult to love. Start praying for them. It'll make it a lot easier. I'm not saying it will make it the easiest thing in the world, but when you're genuinely praying for someone and you're taking their thoughts and mind and hurts to God, it makes a difference. It makes it a lot more difficult to despise someone when you're praying for them. It can be very convicting. Then we need to love our neighbor enough to share the ultimate truth. To love your neighbor enough to go, you know what? I want to share the gospel with you. I want to talk about Jesus. Where are you at with that? Like loving our neighbor in such a way that it's not just about meeting some physical need. That's important. But caring about our neighbors enough to go, there is a soul attached there. There is a person that is far from God, and I want to share the truth of who Jesus is with that person. That's loving our neighbor. And so as we leave here today, I know some, you're going to be traveling a little bit, and so it might be a little bit difficult. But some of you, like, you know who that neighbor is, and you know, man, I, I could do a better job of loving them. Man, if, if all the law and prophets depend on these two things, then we've got this overwhelming call to love our neighbors deeply. Let's do that. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, if there's someone sitting in here today or watching online and they don't know what that mercy looks like, they don't know what it looks like to actually have a relationship and to have been forgiven by you, God, I pray that they would know it only comes through Jesus Christ. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
And if you're here today and you've never done that, that's never been a personal relationship. Maybe it's, yeah, I've been to church or I'm trying to be a good person, but I've never had a true relationship with Jesus Christ. It's just simply this. It's saying, God, as best as I know how, I want to turn away from my old life and I want to follow you. I want to experience that love and forgiveness. And if that is you, we want to celebrate that. And God, for those that are in Christ, God, I pray that we would love our neighbors deeply and well. God, that we would care about their needs. We'd care about them enough to meet them, and we'd care about them enough to share the truth with them. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.